Cause we got the alternative energy right. free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network And today on the radio show we're going to bring you news headlines from around the world About nuclear energy and conflict issues that you may not hear about in the mainstream My name is Greg and first up we're going to look at Yemen Where a large war has been raging for the last few years Where more than 71,000 people have been killed And 21 million people are in need of dire humanitarian assistance, according to Amnesty International. In the last few weeks, you may have seen or may have not seen on the mainstream news, a number of civilian casualties have been killed by Saudi Arabian forces who are bombing bombing Yemen. In one strike, 11 children were killed in a school that was bombed by the Saudi Arabian Air Forces, and in another, a further 13 children were killed killed in a nursery uh, that was targeted by the Saudi Arabian Air Forces. Now, why these places were targeted is hard to say. Saudi Arabia does not release any official documents or give any official reasoning why it chooses the targets that it does. But we do know that the United States of America has given more than $21 billion worth of military aid and loans to Saudi Arabia since March 2015 to execute its war in Yemen. The United States itself has been very active in Yemen for the last 10 to 15 years trying to support the dictator there, a pro-US dictator, who last year was overthrown by Houthi rebels. Now, the United States needs to take responsibility for these civilian deaths, considering that Saudi Arabia uh, has been receiving U.S. weapons and arms in order to placate and pacify the area from any attempts at independence or some kind of independent governing policy. Now, with so many civilians dead, it's also interesting to note that Major General Michael Hindmarsh formerly an Australian Special Air Services commander, is in charge of the United Arab Emirates Presidential Guard. The Presidential Guard from the UAE has been accused of many war crimes in Yemen where many civilians have been killed. The UAE is a is an allied state of Saudi Arabia and does not wish to see an assertive grassroots campaign from Yemen take control of that country. Now, the Houthi rebels may not be the best government in the world, and I'm not even a big supporter of theirs. But clearly people want some kind of independence and they want some kind of freedom from imperial rule. And we're making sure that many of our tax dollars and and weapons go to suppressing that. Australians may also not know that Pine Gap out in Alice Springs is the home to a large U.S. base that is U.S. controlled. It's, in fact, some people say it's one of the most important U.S. bases outside of the United States. And this base is probably instrumental in executing the war in Yemen as the satellite positioning and drone targeting systems that run through Pine Gap are are crucial in geospatial intelligence. Another way of saying picking out your targets so you can bomb them. And as we've seen in the last week with so many civilians killed, that involves war crimes and killing people who never pose a threat to us. And that's being paid for by your tax dollar, Australian citizen. And that's what's happening in Yemen, brought to you by Pine Gap near Alice Springs. Turning our attention now to Lockheed Martin. Lockheed Martin is the world's largest arms dealer. They are based in the United States and have a large history here in Australia. 
they if there's a couple of big news items coming out of the last few weeks from Lockheed Martin. Lockheed Martin, one of the most infamous things they do is they build the Hellfire missiles, which are fired from drones. The drones have been responsible for 1,300 innocent civilian deaths in the last eight years, as I have previously broadcast on the show. But also Lockheed Martin have announced that they are creating a large installation between the University of Melbourne and the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology, the RMIT, in the CBD. The $40 million centre is going... Uh, sorry, the $14 million centre is going to host 440 PhD students at any one time researching surveillance, military technology and information interception. So we're spending $14 million of our money. Uh, A lot of that is coming from the Australian taxpayer to host in Melbourne a war-making facility. And we're putting our best and brightest, our young upcoming PhD students, into studying how to kill each other rather than learning how to solve conflict non-violently and face the great ecological and economic challenges that our nation and our world community have to face. So that's going right in the centre of Melbourne and they say that you can judge a society based on what's in the middle of its cities. It used to be in European cities that you had the the king, the king uh, the, the palace in the middle of the cities and then you had, after a little while, you had the churches in the middle of the cities because first it was the royal family, then it was the churches and in some places there was obviously conflict and eventually the markets came to take over the middle of European cities. You look now, we have malls and in Melbourne, we're going to have a war-making centre in the middle of our CBD, which is going to suck up our economic and intellectual resources sorely, sorely needed uh, to solve global poverty and ecological catastrophe. And that's going on in the middle of Melbourne. That was brought to you by Lockheed Martin and the Australian taxpayer. Now, in other news from Lockheed Martin, Kim Beasley, the former Labor opposition leader and one-time person who inspired me in my political journey when I was much younger. Kim Beasley spent uh, more than seven years as ambassador for Australia between 2010, uh, sorry, 2009-2016 as the Australian ambassador to the United States where he no doubt built a lot of contacts in the US government and the US military industrial complex. He also spent a long time in the Australian parliament and no doubt is known by most people in parliament and most most of the people with their hands on the levers of government decision making. And a man of such resources, a man of such prowess and a man who can do so much with the world is being offered a position and accepted a position on the board of Lockheed Martin. Yes, he's going to use his talents to help sell and promote Lockheed Martin. Not only did Lockheed Martin build those Hellfire missiles, that uh, build and sell those Hellfire missiles that I was talking about before, they're also heavily invested in corporate, uh, in sorry, in government surveillance and in IT, in information technology. They are the ones who know how to hack your phone and listen to your computer. They have developed and owned that software. And Kim Beasley, one of the more influential ex-politicians in this country, is going to be on their board, getting paid probably a lot of money to work for Lockheed Martin's interests, and I would say against the interests of the Australian taxpayer. And that's Kim Beasley, the man who who formerly put to the Australian people that we should become a knowledge nation with free university and and, uh, highly educated populace where anyone could do what they want. He's now saying, let's 
let's become the weapons weaponized nation where so we can learn to kill our enemies because there's so many of them coming to invade us. Uh, I haven't seen any penguins try to invade us from Antarctica, and I'm sure we're going to be well equipped with the $60 billion submarines and the $120 billion F-35 Joint Strike Fighter Program. By the way, the Joint Strike Fighter Program, also a, a taxpayer dodge and a waste of money paid for by you, the Australian taxpayer, straight into the pockets of Lockheed Martin so they can continue to experiment with technology to make it more efficient and more profitable to kill each other and spread global unrest. My name is Greg Rolls, and those are some of the news headlines that are uh, that are out there for the radioactive audience here on 3CR 855 AM or 3cr.org.au and podcast. Also broadcast around Australia on the Community Broadcasting Network. And this is Star Wars by Combat Wombat here on the Radioactive Show. To protect Australia against possible missile attacks. Star Wars. The Empire Strikes Back. War is terrorism. Star Wars. The Empire Strikes Back. War is terrorism. Star Wars. The Empire Strikes Back. War is terrorism. Star Wars. The Empire Strikes Back. Star Wars. The Empire Strikes Back to attack. For what's it got to lose? On the ego of the president and the residents of the Pentagon's military defense extravagance undermined by the strife of an Arab with a pen not prepared to take his own life and everybody's home to roam end up pain created by capitalist gain again again not another war two score points on the imaginary scoreboard for those who can't afford to play the game with the pain we feel to strike another deal. Stars warring on CNN again Showdown of the lowdown Dirty rap versus a dingbat He's all that in check shirt and riding chaps The emperor has no clothes There's no denying that Let's take the power back Without the flowers crap These motherfuckers got me ready to snap They only got their own back We take our own back Or seek fantasy as our dignity's attacked Where you wanna end up First place or last Left suffocating as their rocket ship blasts No life on Mars but none here either A global holocaust as they glide through the ether I'm a believer, realist and truth seeker Knowledge is power as it pumps through the speaker Dismissal of a morally bankrupt leader is needed Cause identities lie bleeding Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back War is terrorism Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back War is terrorism A CIA conspiracy It might be, it's hard to see A clear picture, just a fixture At the end of the media Hype and tripe on the television No clarity of vision Is this World War 3? Is this a reality? We're living in, giving in, killing in Each other No more guessing Tired of being ignored The shadow Definitely flexing Undealt with making a world Like a shoot 'em up western In a matter 
escalating session of aggression and the war thirst with no lesson from the past. We blast carpet bombs and ask, why do they hate us and make us escape nuts? Wake up, why not we bash them, crash them, smash them? Ask friends to help us in our task for revenge. Send in men to end all the sunset. Bringing a cream of militant to distinguish the innocent. Trust, our premise is the nemesis is dust. A must send in enough trucks, tanks, missiles abroad. Drop bombs till there's nothing around to blow up. Send in enough of our best tanks, trucks, missiles, and such. Drop bombs till there's nothing around to blow up. Drop bombs till there's no one left but friends hating us. Our planet seething, obviously angered. America's righteous constitution gets mangled. Daily operation as a commentator spray. Verbal agent orange if you get in their way. Paid in full to back the bending of rules. When fools take power, their swords indeed cruel. Nothing new, this Christian empire finds that Jesus was indeed born in Palestine. Remind, remind, remind yourself that history is written by the man with wealth. But he is passionless next to those who felt the rough hand the corrupt man has dealt. Where's the next target? Civilian market? Pursue those goals and fuck the families that cock it. The whole sky is filled with immense darkness. Where's the love? Is it too much to ask this? Ideology rule like a toxic stool. Religious fundamentalists look to argue. Ideology rule like a toxic stool. Make politicians them look to argue. You're listening to the Radioactive Show on 3CR and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm joined now by Dr. Jim Green from Friends of the Earth. Uh, good morning, Dr. Green. How are you going? Yeah, well, thanks, Greg. Okay, uh, Jim, we're just, um, there's a bit of confusion out there, and I'm a little bit confused myself about Australia becoming the world's nuclear waste dump. There's a few proposals and a few things floating around. Do you mind, uh, for our listeners who may not be aware, just clearing some of those up for us and what's happening? Yeah, there are two uh, processes going on in parallel, and both are focused on South Australia, and they're quite separate. One is a, uh, a plan for a national nuclear waste dump, so that's being driven by the federal government, and they tried under the Howard government to build it in South Australia but were defeated, and then they tried in the Northern Territory but were defeated, and so now they're back to South Australia, and that plan is for a national nuclear waste dump in the Flinders Ranges on the land of the Adnamutna traditional owners who were extremely unhappy about it and who were campaigning very hard to stop it happening. Hmm. And then there's a separate process which is led by the South Australian Labor government 
and that's driven by the state's economic problems and they're looking at the option of turning South Australia into the world's uh, high-level nuclear waste dumps. So they would be importing 138,000 tonnes of high-level nuclear waste as a commercial venture. Mm -hmm. And they haven't yet specified any sites in South Australia that might be used for, for the waste dump or for the uh, for the port that would bring the waste in. But So, yeah, no, they're very keen on that idea and they're unfolding a, a so-called consultation exercise, which is really a propaganda exercise. And that one will un unfold for some years. So I'm guessing there'll be some pretty heavy uh, consultation with the uh, Indigenous owners of the land and with the local communities? Yeah, so. that's right. It's uh, Yeah, I think a lot of that sort of stuff is happening behind the scenes at the moment. Um, so it's really hard to get a gauge on what's going on. But what we do know from submissions to the to the Royal Commission that the South Australian Government set up was that there's overwhelming opposition from Aboriginal people to this uh, plan to turn mm. the state into a high-level nuclear waste dump. And, and that opposition is born from, from painful experience going way back to the British nuclear bomb tests at Maralinga and Emu mm. Field in South Australia to uh, the four botched clean-ups of the Maralinga nuclear test site and a whole lot of unhappy experiences with uranium mining in South Australia affecting Aboriginal traditional owners and also uh, the, the attempt to impose a nuclear waste dump on Aboriginal land under the Howard government. So there's a, a legacy of mistrust mm. and a legacy of racism and deceit that forms a backdrop to this current debate. And so it's not surprising that there's overwhelming Aboriginal opposition to this plan for a high-level nuclear waste dump, as well as organised Aboriginal opposition to stop it happening. And what what do you think? Do you think that this is uh, something that's going to go ahead? Like you mentioned earlier, that we're being told there's an economic crisis and you know many South Australian governments and opposition leaders talk about an economic crisis. Do you think this is inevitable, that they're going to do this just for the money-making? Well... No, it's by no means inevitable. It's it's really hard to assess whether it's likely or not to go ahead. Um, I mean, it might get defeated on the economics alone because, uh, you know, the South Australian government would have to invest somewhere between 300 and $600 million in upfront costs before uh, they received any revenue. So it's a big gamble. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, those upfront costs could easily be far greater. We've heard figures of $2.4 in upfront costs. So it's a spectacular gamble with very uncertain revenues. So, I mean, the economics alone might stop it. Mm. And of course, public opposition in general and Aboriginal opposition in particular might also have a significant sway. But what's disturbing in South Australia is that there's no real balance to the propaganda. I mean, mm. traditional owners and environment groups and others are certainly voicing strong criticisms, as are some professional economists. But there's really a bubble of propaganda involving both of the major parties and, and really importantly, it also involves the Murdoch tabloid, which is dominant in South Australia, which is the Adelaide Advertiser. So mm. you just get this reinforcing bubble of propaganda and, and no real dissent. And we can compare that to other situations. Say in the United States, there was a very long-running battle over a plan for a nuclear waste dump in Nevada. Mm. But you had the Nevada state government opposed to it, so that provided some balance. And, you know, they raised 218 technical objections in one of their reports. Wow. Uh, some of the, I'm sure that many of those objections were, were minor, but some of them were, were significant. And 
But this, that balance just isn't happening in South Australia. It's just a reinforcing bubble of propaganda, as I say. Yeah, money, m- money-making implements uh, on the back of the myth that the land is empty and open for use for this kind of toxic thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, so speaking of, you know, there are economic and energy needs. Uh, why is there not a push for greater renewable, you know, research and building in South Australia? And is this a global phenomenon? Well, South Australia is leading the charge in Australia for uh, renewables, which is great, um, uh, in particular with wind and to a lesser extent with solar and in particular rooftop solar. Uh, It hasn't been completely plain sailing and in particular a a whole range of uh, factors have come into play to boost electricity prices in South Australia, such as problems with the interconnect with Victoria and spikes with the uh, uh, with the gas price and, and various other factors. But all of those price increases are being blamed on renewables by the Murdoch press and by and by various vested interests in the, in the energy industry. Mm. Um, but, you know, it certainly is possible to go a whole lot further uh, with renewables in South Australia and, and in Australia generally. But if we look at the broader picture, there's some really interesting stuff happening globally, which is that renewables are absolutely going through the roof. There's been uh, a doubling of renewable energy generation around the world in the past 10 years, whereas nuclear has been completely stagnant. Mm. So if we go back a decade, nuclear and renewables were generating roughly the same amount of electricity, but now renewables generate more than twice as much and and that grit gap is growing every day so the current figures are that renewables account for 23.7 percent of global uh, electricity generation whereas nuclear accounts for just 10.7 percent and a big driver there is of course the economics and the cost of renewables has come down really sharply in particular for for solar and also for wind uh but nuclear is going in the other direction. Nuclear is subject to what they call a negative learning effect. It's becoming more expensive as time goes on because of more stringent safety requirements and, and various other factors. And so it's getting to a point where it's quite ridiculous. Now, the UK is considering investing in a nuclear plant, which would involve reactors that cost uh, around about 20 to 24 billion Australian dollars just for one reactor. So when you get figures like that, then it's a real no-brainer mm-hmm. to go down the renewable energy path. And, and that message seems to be sinking into the British government, which has balked at, the, at this plan for a, a, a new power station at Hinkley Point, and they well might invest in renewables instead. Do you have any, just uh, you're talking about the decline of nuclear there, do you have any figures just off the top of your head about, you know, roughly how much nuclear waste there is in the world now and hopefully we see that the tapering off and eventually the, the end of nuclear power. Do you have any figures about how much nuclear waste is in the world and, and where that might go to and, and why the South Australian government might be looking to profiteer from this? Yeah, there's... Uh um, for the high-level nuclear waste, you're talking about spent fuel, which has not been uh, reprocessed, as well as spent fuel that has been reprocessed. But overall, there's uh, roughly 300,000 tonnes of, of spent nuclear fuel in both of those categories. So South Australia is looking at taking uh, a third of that. 
and but there's also uh, vastly greater volumes of uh, intermediate and low-level waste. So mm. South Australia is considering importing um, 138,000 tonnes of high-level waste plus 390,000 cubic metres of intermediate-level waste. Wow. So those are the, are the broad numbers and the even greater volumes of, of low-level waste. I mean, in South Australia, they've got the Olympic Dam uranium mm. mine and uh, that produces 10 million tonnes of low-level radioactive tailings waste every year. So they're up to about 160 million tonnes of that tailing waste, which just sits above the ground and is subject to all sorts of environmental and public health problems there as well. Um, but yeah, with the high-level waste, no country has established a dump uh, to mm. dispose of this waste. There's um, so where is Sweden it and Finland. Uh, in, it's in various conditions. Some of it's in uh, wet storage, which means underground. Uh, sorry, underwater storage because it generates a huge amount of heat when it's first uh, discharged from the reactors. So it has to stay underwater, and then dry storage, often usually at the uh, at the reactor plants themselves, but there's some consolidated interim above-ground stores for, for spent nuclear fuel as well. And I mentioned reprocessing. So there's some commercial reprocessing going on around the world, in particular in France and the UK, but the UK is stepping away from that, which could leave mm. France as, as the only major international commercial reprocessor. So it's in. It sounds like the nuclear industry is a, a dire state, and there's a real problem here for the world to deal with. This, uh, you, you know, the amount of waste that we've gotten feels like there's no real uh, long-term solution. Um, uh, given that, and uh, I just want to know a little bit about the state of the nuclear industry lobby in Australia. Is it is it strong? Is a is there a big voice, you know, pushing for nuclear power, et cetera, in Australia or around the world? Um. Yeah, around the world there certainly is. In Australia, it tends to go up and down quite a bit. Um, Ten years ago, there certainly was a significant lobby, and that's when the Howard government established the Switkowski inquiry. Um, But then the Howard government got nervous in the lead-up to the 2007 federal election and, and went very cool on the idea of nuclear power, if only because of the electoral consequences. And... Uh, the Labor government certainly wasn't running on a pro-nuclear power platform. Mm. Um, at the moment, you know, there is a nuclear power lobby in Australia, but it's not significant and there's no serious likelihood of nuclear power in Australia for the foreseeable future. So a lot of the debate turns on these nuclear waste dump proposals and that's where the, the lobbying is, is being directed. Mm. Yeah, and, and given those economic crises, I guess uh, there's always going to be the, uh, again, the myth that the land is empty and we can just use this to profiteer off. Um, are you hopeful that we'll be able to resist these nuclear waste dumps being built on Indigenous land? What What are your own feelings and hopes for this, or are you feeling a little bit overwhelmed? Yeah, uh, well, both of those things, I think, apply. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a real challenge for the plan for a national nuclear waste dump on Adnamutna land in the Flinders Ranges in South Australia, I'm I'm very confident that that will be defeated. But then it's just Groundhog Day, then the Mm. federal government will come back with other sites and most likely that will be on Aboriginal land and there'll be attempts yet again to impose uh, nuclear waste dumps on Aboriginal land despite opposition from traditional owners. 
Mm. with the international high-level waste dump, you know, that's a really difficult one because it's going to go on for some years. There's just no way we can short-circuit that debate. And uh, one of the things I'm worried about is that the South Australian government will have invested so much political capital into that project that even when it becomes clear that it's it's not a good bet, either on uh, economic or environmental or public health grounds, that they will have invested so much political capital that they'll feel compelled to go ahead with it despite the obvious problems. Wow. Yeah, that's that's pretty scary, isn't it, when you're... Yeah. Government's acting like a kind of dysfunctional person who needs to go ahead with a bad plan anyway, just because their their uh, ego staked on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dr. Jim Green from Friends of the Earth, thank you so much for joining us today on on the Radioactive Show. It's been great just to get a wrap up of the picture of the nuclear industry and waste industry around the world and where we're up to. No worries, Greg. Thanks for that. No worries. Thanks. Uh, Dr. Jim Green there from Friends of the Earth here on the Radioactive Show 3CR, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You've been listening to Radioactive Show on 3CR and broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network, recorded at the studios of 3CR Melbourne on Wurundjeri Land. Big thanks to Dr. Jim Green from Friends of the Earth. You can contact us by emailing radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com and you can download our podcast from 3cr.org.au If you're too busy to listen to 3CR live, catch up on a podcast or audio on demand at 3CR's website www.3cr.org.au Genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing white fellas learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe.